Good morning, church. Grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to this time of worship at Faith Community United Methodists. Good to be with you in worship this morning. If you haven't already filled out the attendance pads, I would ask you to do that. There are attendance pads in, the, in each of the pews, and you can fill those out, pass them along to others that are worshiping next to you this morning. And as you do that, make sure that you take a look at your bulletin insert that has uh, a bunch of announcements on it. Uh, you want to keep in mind that next week is uh, Coins for Missions Sunday, so you want to bring your coins next week. There's an announcement there about the uh, Men of Faith uh, meeting coming up on October 17th. Uh, an announcement about pledge envelopes. If you uh, need some pledge envelopes, there's an announcement there about that, letting the office know uh, pledge envelopes for next year. We're having our church family night uh, coming up on Sunday, October 30th at the end of this month. So we'll be uh, giving you more information as the month goes on, but make sure you put that on your calendar now for uh, October 30th for church family night. Uh, we're going to be receiving new members sometime later this month. And so if you are interested in membership here at Community, uh, I'd like you to let me know that uh, by tomorrow. Today or tomorrow, let me know if you're interested in membership so that we can uh, get that scheduled for later this month. There's uh, my, my uh, email address is in the bulletin announcement there, or you can call the church office. There's an announcement about uh, an organ recital. Dr. John Shearer, son of Sharon Shearer, is going to be performing an organ recital on Thursday, October 13th at Westminster Presbyterian Church, so you want to take note of that and put that on your calendar. Finally, I just want to say thank you to Pam for filling in this morning as uh, Carol has not been feeling well this week, and so uh, Pam has filled in on short notice, and we thank you for, for providing the music this morning, Pam. We come together to offer God our worship and our praise. Let us be in a spirit of worship. Stand as you're able for the call to worship. We meet in different buildings in different towns. We wear different clothing and have different gifts and talents. We will join together with God as the kingdom of God comes and as God's will is done. Let us join with all our brothers and sisters in worship and true communion with God this day. Please remain standing for our opening hymn, Come Thou Almighty King, that is in, uh, on your, in your hymnal number 61.
you may be seated. And please join me in our opening prayer printed in your bulletin. Jesus prayed that we might be one, one in spirit, one in mission, and one in communion with each other. God, we confess fumblings and failures in accomplishing unity as we set aside yet another day to remind ourselves of the task. On this World Communion Sunday, give us eyes to recognize your reflection in the eyes of Christians everywhere. Give us minds to accept and celebrate our differences. Give us a big heart enough to love your children everywhere. We thank you for setting a table with space enough for all of us. Amen. And if I could please have the children come up and meet me up here. I have a message for, especially for kiddos. Oh, yep, there it works. Very good. All right. Good morning, everyone. I have a question for you. Raise your hand if you have ever got a Happy Meal. You got a Happy Meal? What are some things that are in a Happy Meal? and I'll tell them. Mashed potatoes. Fancy Happy Meal. <laughs> what else? <laughs> Steak? <laughs> Seriously, fancy Happy Meal. <laughs> what? A hamburger. That's a very common thing. What else? Chocolate milk. Something to drink. What else? Chicken nuggets, yep. There's one other thing that I'm thinking of that's in a Happy Meal. You don't necessarily eat it. A toy. Usually a toy. And tell me about that toy. Do you still have any of your Happy Meal toys? Somewhere in the basement. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Usually those little Happy Meal toys... They don't really last too long. They're kind of break or we lose them or they get lost in the basement. <laughs> so that's the thing. Today I want to talk to you about a different kind of a Happy Meal. Do you know that at church we have a Happy Meal? We do. We're going to celebrate it today. And it's called communion. And when we have communion, what do we have? Bread and juice, exactly. And is there a toy with it? There's something better. Do you know what's better than the toy? It's something that lasts forever. And it is that proof that Jesus loves us. And that's why we have that happy meal all of the time um, or at church, because we want to remember that Christ loves us. So I have a little poem I want to read. It's called My Savior's Happy Meal. And maybe this will be something you think about later this service when we have communion. This happy meal doesn't look like much, and it doesn't come with a toy. It may not fill my stomach, but it fills my heart with joy. The bread and juice remind me of my Savior's love for me when he died upon a rugged cross on a hill called Calvary. There is no way I can describe the gratitude I feel each and every time I eat my Savior's Happy Meal. All right, let's end in a prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for Jesus' death and resurrection. Thank you also for the Happy Meal we will take today as a reminder of all Jesus has done for each and every one of us. Amen. All right, guys. Come and get one of these on your way back. Just don't eat it until after church and you get out of the sanctuary, okay? <laughs> and everybody else, if you want to get ready, I think there is another hymn that we're going to sing. You can remain seated.
Thank you, Julie. Yes, we are going to sing our prayer hymn, Jesus United by Thy Grace. It's number 561 in the hymnal, and we're going to sing verses 1, 2, and 5. As we enter into our prayer time this morning, I'm going to invite us into a moment of silence and during that silence ask you to offer your own uh, prayers and petitions to the Lord. Let us Lord, we thank you that you hear all of our prayers, that you understand all that is on our hearts. And as we have lifted to you our concerns this morning, we know that you understand, that you care, that you love us, that you are working for our good. And even for those things that uh, have slipped our minds at the moment, we know, Lord, that nothing slips your mind, that you are aware of all of our deepest needs and that you are at work on our behalf. We give you thanks, Lord, for your goodness to us. We lift up concerns for the people in Florida as they have experienced great devastation this week. For those who have lost homes and resources, we pray for protection, we pray for shelter. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would cover them with your provision. And we pray also for the people of Puerto Rico who have experienced the same thing recently and are still uh, still trying to find their way forward, still trying to uh, recover. Lord, we know that you are the one who can provide all that's needed, and so we pray for you, for these people who have experienced such devastation. Lord, we know that you are a God of rebuilding, you are a God of hope and restoration. And we pray not just for them, but for people anywhere in the world who have experience disruption in their lives, whether it be from natural disasters, whether it be from warring nations. Lord, we know that all that goes on in this world is not according to, uh, to the way that you would have it be, but that we pray for your will to be done in a mighty way. We pray for you to, to cure what ails this aching world and for you to bring your goodness even out of the bad things that we must go through. Lord, you lift us up in all things, and we trust you in all things. Lord, we pray to you on this World Communion Sunday as we acknowledge that there is one body, the body of Christ, into which you invite all of your children. Teach us to live into that unity, to demonstrate that oneness with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. For Lord, your, your body is one, and you make us one by your grace. 
be with us now in this congregation as we demonstrate that oneness of Christ to one another and to the world around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name as we offer to you now the prayer that he teaches us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us continue to work by presenting our tithes and our offerings as the ushers come forward to wait upon us. Please join me in the prayer of dedication. Gracious God, as members of your body, we bring not only our offering of money for the work of Christ, but our commitment to be gladly sharing 
with those in need. For all who hunger and thirst, let us share the bread that satisfies and the living water that quenches the dryness of the soul. Receive and bless this offering, we pray. Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the gospel. Our gospel lesson today is a two-parter. The first is the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 57 through 59. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. And our second um, section is also from John uh, chapter 18, verses 4 through 6. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. <laughs> the piece that I'm going to do uh, bears no introduction. I'll let you figure it out. And thanks to Jean for accompanying me this morning. Go ahead, Jean. Dear Lord, let it be. 
For the past month and a half, we've been looking at the I am statements of Jesus from the Gospel of John. You might be surprised that we have one more to look at today. I did say that there were seven such I am statements of Jesus in John, and we have already looked at seven of them. We have heard Jesus declare, I am the light of the world, I am the gate, I am the good shepherd, I am the bread of life, I am the vine, you are the branches. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And finally, last week, I am the resurrection and the life. That's all seven. So what more is there? Well, the seven I am statements that we've looked at so far are all statements in which Jesus uses some noun as a metaphor to indicate something about himself. I am followed by some meaningful image. But there are also a couple of times in the Gospel of John in which Jesus simply says, I am, period. No noun to go with it, no image to follow it up, just simply those two words alone, I am. And it turns out when he does that, those are perhaps some of the most meaningful statements he makes about himself in the entire gospel. In each of the seven I am statements in which Jesus uses a descriptive metaphor in reference to himself, we learn something of who he is, what he's about, what his identity means for our own. But when Jesus simply says, I am, and leaves it at that, he is going straight to the heart of his divine nature. How so? To understand that, we need to step back into the Old Testament for a moment. Exodus chapter 3. The Hebrew people are living as slaves in Egypt. They are oppressed, they are threatened, They feel forgotten and abandoned by their God. Moses has fled from Egypt and has been living safely in the wilderness for 40 years. And then the Bible tells us God heard the cry of his people and he appeared to Moses in the burning bush. He instructs Moses to return to Egypt to confront Pharaoh with the message from God to let his people go. Moses is not exactly thrilled with this task. He says, who am I that I should go before Pharaoh? He asks further, what if the Israelites ask who has sent me? If they ask for your name, what shall I tell them? I am who I am. That was God's response. Yahweh Hayah. Yahweh, spelled with just the four consonants, Y-H-W-H, means I am. And it was understood to be God's name, or as close as you could get to God's name anyway. Part part of the reason that God refused to give his name to Moses, other than saying, I am who I am, is because a, a person's name in those days was understood to have power. If you invoked a person's name, you could exert some power over them. God wanted it to be understood that no human could ever exert power over him. No human could ever pin God down and use God for his own purpose. God is too far above all of creation to be encapsulated by anything like a name. The Jews understood this. They knew that God could not be pinned down by a name. However, because God had given this answer in response to the request for his name, They treated this name, Yahweh, as if it were, in fact, God's literal name. That is, they they wouldn't speak it out loud, lest they be in danger of misusing or dishonoring God's name in any way. Because of that, no one knows for sure exactly how the name is pronounced in Hebrew. It depends on what vowels are inserted between the four consonants and which rendering is given to those consonants. Yahweh is one possibility. Jehovah is another. Often in writing, the the faithful people of God would use the title the Lord in place of the name so that the name Yahweh would not even be written. 
that tradition gets carried over into English. Even to this day, anytime you're reading your Old Testament and you see the word Lord in all capital letters, that is a substitution for the name Yahweh. When the Hebrew Scriptures were translated into Greek, the Septuagint, the, the version of the Bible that most people in Jesus' day read, the Hebrew Yahweh was translated into Greek as ego imi. Ego, ego, Greek for I, imi, Greek for am. Two very common words that are commonly used together. I am this, I am that. Ego imi this, ego imi that. But also two words that, that when standing alone by God in the Holy Scriptures, express as literally as it is possible to express in human language the very name of God, Yahweh, ego imi, I am. In the seven I am statements that we've looked at over the past six weeks, Jesus uses the words ego imi in their common everyday sense. Ego imi, the light of the world. Ego imi, the bread of life. So on and so forth. When he uses those same words in today's passages, however, stating simply ego imi with nothing coming after it, those words take on a whole new meaning, a divine meaning. You get a hint of that in the way that the other people in the passage respond to Jesus. In chapter 8, when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, to the Jews who were questioning him and challenging him, it was just then that they picked up stones to throw at him. They're ready to murder him, to, to stone him to death, right then and there. Why? Just because he said he was older than Abraham? No. Because he was invoking the divine name, and not just invoking that name, but applying it to himself. Some of the Jewish leaders were engaging Jesus in a debate. They didn't like the things that he was teaching. They accused him of having a demon. Jesus countered that he did not have a demon, but that he was speaking the words of God. And then Jesus said, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. That claim by Jesus, that, that those who keep his word would never see death. We know what he meant by that. We considered that last week when we looked at his statement, I am the resurrection and the life. But the Jews he was speaking to, they didn't understand and they didn't believe. This claim by Jesus set them off. There was no one greater or more faithful than Abraham. And Abraham died. The prophets, too, they had been spokesmen for God, delivering God's word to God's people, and yet they all died, too. Here comes Jesus saying, whoever keeps his word will never die. How could Jesus claim to have a word more powerful than what Abraham and the prophets had? How, how could Jesus claim to be greater than them? How dare he glorify himself to such an outrageous extent? Jesus answered that he was not glorifying himself, that it was God who glorified him. He answered further that even Abraham had looked forward to the day of Jesus and rejoiced when he saw it. Now the Jews were incredulous. Jesus wasn't even 50 years old. How could he claim to have been around at the same time as Abraham? Here's something to consider. We tend to think of all of the Bible as stuff that happened way back when. But think about this. The time period between when Abraham lived and when Jesus had this conversation with the Jews was an even longer period of time than the period of time between when Jesus had this conversation with the Jews right up to today. Abraham had already been dead in Jesus' day far longer than the entire time period known as A.D. Keep that in mind when you hear the Jews ask, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Abraham who died millennia ago? It is to that question that Jesus responds, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. 
before Abraham was, ego and me. Before Abraham was, Yahweh. This is as close as Jesus ever gets to saying from his own lips what John already told us in the prologue of his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Here is the point Jesus was making. Abraham and all of the other prophets, they were simply people delivering a message from God. Jesus is that message. Jesus is that God. When Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, he's not just saying, I've been around longer than Abraham. What he's saying is, Abraham was just a man. A great man, yes, a godly man, but just that, a man. He came and he went just as every other man does. I, however, am God. I am from everlasting everlasting. I am the eternal word through which all things were created. I am the word of God that called out to Abraham and all of the prophets. No wonder they accused him of blasphemy. No wonder they determined that he needed to die. They knew precisely what he was saying about himself. They didn't believe it. They rejected him entirely, but they knew what he meant. That's why they wanted to stone him to death. Jesus says the same thing later in the Gospel, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is there praying with his disciples. The guards are led there by Judas to arrest him. Jesus asks who they are looking for. Jesus of Nazareth, they answer. And then he says simply, I am. The translation we read today, like most English translations, says, I am he because Jesus is clearly saying that he is the Jesus of Nazareth for whom they are looking. But he is saying much more than that. In the original Greek, he, the word he is not there. What Jesus said literally is ego emi, I am. And all those around him drew back and fell to the ground. Why did they fall to the ground? Because he said he was Jesus of Nazareth? No. They fell to the ground because he said he was God. That's what you do when you suddenly realize you're in the direct presence of God. You draw back and fall to the ground. Now, whether they actually believed this about Jesus or not, that's questionable. If they actually did believe Jesus to be divine, why would they go ahead and arrest him? But their belief in the moment is not the point. The point is that their reaction in response to his declaration, whether it was intentional or not, whether it was done ironically, whether it was done unconsciously, whether it was the Holy Spirit moving them beyond their comprehension, the point is that by falling to the ground, they reveal exactly what Jesus meant when he declared to them, ego imi, I am. In this case, I am is not just the one who is walking among them and speaking to humankind. In this case, I am is also the one who is about to be arrested and convicted and hung on a cross to die. When Jesus pronounced the holy name earlier in the gospel, he revealed the irony that, that the people of God were arguing about God against God. Here, later in the Gospel, when Jesus once again pronounces the holy name, he reveals the pathos, the great pathos, of God himself being rejected and killed by those who claim to be defending. It was Caiaphas, the high priest, who advised the Jews that it would be better that one man die for all the people rather than the whole nation perish. He said this because he believed that by killing Jesus, they could quiet down the crowds and the revolution. But John, the author of the gospel, commented on Caiaphas' words. 
He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Caiaphas wanted Jesus dead, and he wanted him dead for the sake of God's people. Indeed, Jesus would die for the sake of God's people. In the garden, as the guards came to arrest him, to lead him away to his ultimate destiny, to the fulfillment of his mission, Jesus revealed who it was that they were leading away to die for the sake of God's people. Ego emi. I am. Yahweh. God himself was being led to the cross to suffer death at the hands of his own people so that his own people might live. The question Jesus asked in the garden that night, when the guards were arriving, whom do you seek? That echoes a question Jesus had asked his followers at the beginning of the Gospel of John. John 1.38, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? That question bookends the Gospel and hovers over the entire Gospel. What are you seeking? Whom do you seek? The disciples didn't answer Jesus when he first asked it. Instead, they asked him in return, where are you staying? And he invited them, come and you will see. What are you seeking? Come and you will see. That question which hovers over the gospel also hovers over our lives. What are you seeking in life? Whom are you seeking? When the guards finally answer in Gethsemane, Jesus of Nazareth, that answers the question on one level. Jesus' response to them answers it on an even deeper level. I am. Yahweh. What we are all of us seeking, whether we know it or not, is God, the great I Am. Whether we know it's God that we're after or not, what, we're all really seeking the same thing. We're seeking meaning, we're seeking purpose, we're seeking life. Even the most non-religious person, even someone who says they have no interest in God or Jesus or the Bible or any of that spiritual stuff, even they are seeking a meaningful and abundant life. And since God is the author of life, even those who don't know that's what or who they are seeking, they are at the most basic, fundamental level seeking after God. The entire Gospel of John, and indeed the Bible as a whole, show us that our quest for God leads us to Jesus. And conversely, our quest for Jesus leads us to God. Whom are you seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, I am. Amen. Let us join now in the prayer of the great thanksgiving as we prepare to receive the sacrament of Holy Communion. The Lord be with you. And also Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. 
It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. You have made from one every nation and people to live on all the face of the earth. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. He commissioned us to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth and to make disciples of all nations, and today his family in all the world is joining at his holy table. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and juice. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. Renew our communion with your church throughout the world and strengthen it in every nation and among every people to witness faithfully in your name. By your spirit make us one with Christ, one with each other and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. I invite the ushers to come forward at this time. They will pass the plates with the bread on it, and I invite you to take a piece of bread and pass the plate along. Hold on to the bread until uh, the plates have gone all the way around so that we can receive the sacrament together as one body, the body of Christ. Uh, the invitation to this holy meal comes from the Lord Jesus himself. Anyone who wishes to respond to his invitation is welcome to receive. There's also a plate of gluten-free up here. If you need gluten-free, just let one of the ushers know and they will bring that to you.
the body of Christ, broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of him. of salvation poured out in the blood of Jesus Christ. Take and drink in remembrance of him. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for this holy mystery in which you have given yourself to us. We thank you for that sacrifice that you made for us and for that grace that you continue to pour upon us. As you have filled us with this holy meal, will you continue to fill us with your Holy Spirit all of our days. We pray this in your precious and holy name. Amen. Our closing hymn is number 116 in the hymnal, The God of Abraham Prays. I invite you to stand as you are able and let us sing together.
great I Am has called us into this place of worship and celebration. And now the great I Am calls us to follow him out into the world and to be his holy people. Go in the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. 